0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Arapahoe Road Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the teaching of our special guest from this past weekend. For more information about our church and its ministries, please visit arapahoeroad.org. And now, here's the sermon from this past weekend. I want you to remember that God... God's created everything you see. He breathed it into existence. Remember when his people were caught up in slavery? He rescued them. What he did was he parted the sea. And he made a way for them and then he delivered their enemies to them and he unlocks wounds and he provides water from a rock and he provides manna from heaven and he brought down the walls of Jericho. He froze the sun allowing victory. He's toppled giants with tiny stones. He's brought fire from heaven. He shut the mouths of lions. He preserved life in the belly of a well. He's fed thousands with a few loaves. He gives the weak strength. He heals the sick. He's made the blind see the deaf ear the mute speak the lame walk and he's overcome evil and he's made a way through death for you and me by the death and the resurrection as a son Jesus Christ that we will live with him forever we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever what are we afraid of his resume is flawless he controls everything
1: And he loves you. Good morning, everyone. It is so good to be back with you again. It feels like it's been a little bit too long. And so thank you again, Pastor, for letting me come and be a part of this with you and your faith family. And thank you for allowing me to be a part of this time with you and for being someone who can walk with you through all the things that you've been processing and dealing with and thinking through about the future. I'm excited today because although we're looking into the future this afternoon for this particular faith family, we're going to look back in the history of the church before it was even known as the church when it was talked about as the nation of Israel. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to Numbers, Chapter Thirteen, and I know that some of you today, I just learned, have already done some study time in your Sunday school class or in your small group class, and so uh, I want to make sure that you hear me right. Feel free after we're done to come correct me on anything that you found that I missed or that I said improperly. But uh, from what I looked over, it looks like we're going to be in the same place, just with some different angles on it. So I'm really excited that the Lord's already been working in hearts, preparing us to be in the same moment, in the same place, in for our hearts and minds to be prepared for what God's going to do with us. Uh, Before we get uh, too much further, I just want to pray one more time, and then we'll kind of endeavor into our journey through the Word. So if you would, let me pray before we jump into Numbers 13. Father, I am so gracious and thankful that we have a chance to be uh, together, and as we are together, that we can look into your self-revelation, your Word to us about who you are, about what you've done and about what you promised to do. And Lord, we are so thankful that you would love us, even though we are sinners, rebellious by nature, that you have loved us so much that you were willing to overcome that by sending your perfect, holy, good and righteous son, Jesus Christ the Messiah, to save us by dying for us and taking our punishment for our sin. Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Help us this morning to give your son honor and glory and to magnify your name, and we ask all of that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's look in the word together this morning. Before we do, let me kind of set the tone a little bit, you need a little bit of background about where we are and what's going on. Uh, We are uh, in a place ourselves where there has been a crazy few years in our existence, amen? Amen just a crazy few years. And if we're honest about it, in this particular faith family, and as some of you may not be aware, I've, I've been a, a part, at least from afar, and sometimes close with Arapahoe Road for the last 20-odd years, uh, because I was friends with George in the seminary, and he started bringing me over and hanging out in a previous pastor's home and visiting and getting the chance to speak sometimes to different groups. And so it's been an honor to walk with you and pray with you and go through life with you. And as you've been processing through all the things that this church has had to endure, like a lot of churches endure a lot of different things, you guys can know that I have been praying from afar and walking with you and I've continued and will continue uh, as long as the Lord gives us the pleasure of doing that. And uh, so I'm excited to be here today to look at a passage of scripture that he's already put in some of your hearts this morning that we can look at together and see where we can find hope and see where we can find encouragement, and see where we can find some warnings to make sure we do walk with the Lord no matter what comes at us. Because, as you've known, in the last 10 years here, or in the last two years with COVID, that fear can overtake us, and the obstacles in our path can be overwhelming, and they can take a front seat in our minds and in our hearts, and they can bring us away from our hope being in the one who is the only hope Whose name is Jesus and so I'm really excited about looking at this word and let's see how God moves in us now to get the picture as we're looking into the face of Jesus this morning through the word of God we first have to understand what's going on before us so I'm just going to give you a quick biblical theology that you're probably aware of but just in case if you remember as Adam and Eve made the wrong decision to not obey the Lord and they were cast out of the garden it seemed like all hope was lost But God had even said in Genesis 3 that he was going to send through Eve the seed who would come and bring hope back, who would crush the enemy's head. But we didn't see much about that until Abram shows up. And we see Abram, who uh, becomes Abraham as we know him, that this guy is promised some things, that there would be a land, and he's to take his family and go. He doesn't know where, and he just says, yes, Lord, and goes. Doesn't know where he's going to end up, but he just says, yes, and he goes. And then God brings him to a land, and he says, this is where you're going to be. And he says that in 400 years from now, there's going to be, or in a few hundred years from now, we're going to have your people are going to actually not be here and they're going to be enslaved and I'm going to bring them back out to this land. And so Abraham sets up camp and they they have a a lot of family and lineage goes on until the uh, man we know is Joseph through some crazy actions by his brothers who don't like him very much, sell him off into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt in slavery. Well, over time, the Lord moves him up in the ranks of that land to where he's second only to Pharaoh, and that's at the same time where his kinsmen are going through a great famine in their land, and they come to get help, and he's able to be the one who brings help, showing how God provides, even through dire circumstances. But then as they stay there over years, up to 400 years, they become enslaved in that land. And this is where we remember that God sends Moses as his leader to the people. And he brings them in because they spoke out crying out to the Lord to save them and redeem them. And he sends Moses and Moses comes in reluctantly we might add. And he comes in and he begins to lead the people to put their hope in God. They're very nervous about it. They don't want to press the envelope. But he goes up to Pharaoh and God through Moses gives Pharaoh 10 chances to repent and let his people go. And on the last one he lets them go but then as they leave he actually chases after them to bring them back and what does God do he brings an end to Pharaoh and all his army and shows his glory through it all he says I will be known because of what I do to the Egyptians because they refuse to believe and this is where we end up with the Israelites in the desert heading towards the promised land. And we're coming up right here in Numbers 13 where they've, they've come up right up against the land and they're going to send in some spies. God gives them instructions. to send in some spies to spy out the land. Here's where we pick it up in Numbers 13. Uh, You've got to have your Bibles open or your phone apps open with the Bible on it so you can see it's too much text. I wasn't going to make you scroll through all this with me here. We'll have some other passages up here later. But you and your Bibles, Numbers 13, go with me. We're going to cover 1 through 3. Then we're going to jump to 25 and go forward for quite a bit. So I I kind of apologize for the length, but it's one big story, and we're really going to be glad we've done it. So let's look. Numbers 13, 1 through 3. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel. So they went out. They went out into the land, and they spied it out, and they got some of the fruit. They got grapes, and they got some figs, and other things. They brought them back, and they're going to give a report. Look in verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large and besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the Jordan. Look at verse 30. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. See the faith of Caleb. He doesn't care what faces him because he knows the God he serves, right? But look at the very next sentence. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied it out saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. See what happens here. Now, if you don't remember in the story, by the way, let me go a little back just a minute. I'm going to do a little going back to look forward, like a good movie, right? This is where you're going to hear some repeated things that the Israelites are saying that it's just a, it must sound like a clanging gong in the ears of the Lord, and it must be miserably frustrating to him. In fact, we see it does become that later. They're, all the time, when they leave Egypt, right, and they're leaving out, and Moses is leading them, they go up against the sea, and God puts them there on purpose to bring down Pharaoh, and they're there, and they go, oh, why'd you bring us out of here to die in the desert, to die against the sea, Moses? We should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed back there, not remembering they're the ones that cried out to God, ask, for deliverance and he's brought them out. They're not hoping in the true God. They're thinking, oh, we've done it now. You've led us in the wrong place. They've lost their faith already, right? Listen to what happens here in chapter 14 verse 1. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Did not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. I mean, just repeated mistake over mistake over mistake of losing their faith in the one who's proven himself over and over again. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces, verse 5, before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunah who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, which shows that they are just mourning over this. They're upset. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. Listen to this. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation started to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. He said, I'm going to do what I said I was going to do with Abraham. I'm going to start over. And we're going to make this happen, right? And so here's what happens. We're just going to shortchange this a little bit. Moses then pleads with God and says, give them grace. Pardon them for their sin. Don't do this because then everybody's going to look at you and he pleads on it because of God's glory. He says, if you let this happen, everybody's going to think that you were unable to bring them out of the land that you failed to do this. They trusted you and you failed. So don't do that. Let your glory stand and pardon these people. And so then the Lord says in verse 20, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. And he says only Caleb, and only Joshua will be able to out of this generation. He says, they're all going to die in the desert. Everybody 20 and older is gone, except Caleb and Joshua, to go in the promised land. And I'm going to show you the ones you were concerned about, you know, dying if we go into this land, they're going to be the ones who inherit it. They're going to be the champions that i lead in there. And then he says, to those who went into the land... And brought back a bad report to dissuade people from going. I'm going to send a pestilence among them and kill them. And he does. He kills them. And then it pulls up. And here's what the people see at the very end of the chapter. Look at verse 39. When Moses told these words to all the people of Israel, the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. Now, something I didn't tell you in the story, I'm going to push back now. God said, you're going to go back into the desert, so go that way now. This is my command to you now. And the people, though, are going, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're, we're sorry, we're going to go up now and do this thing. And Moses pleads with them. Listen, Moses, verse 41 says, why now are you transgressing the command of the Lord when that will not succeed? You see, they decided, okay, you told us to do this, though, now we're going to go do this thing you told us to do. And Moses goes, no, no, now he's told you that you're not going to make it in there because you're disobedience. So you go into the desert again and you're not going to live outside of that desert. You're going to die there and your kids are going to inherit the land. And they're like, no, no, don't let that happen, right so they they don 't listen, they go up. Verse 42, do not go up for the Lord is not among you lest you be struck down before your enemies for where the Amalekites and the Canaanites are facing you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned back from following the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the heights of the hill country, although neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed out of the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and defeated them and pursued them even to Hormah. Now, that's a sad story, isn't it? You may be thinking, wow, Thomas, you just brought us down a few notches. Thank you for ruining my day. Listen, I think there's a lot of hope in this passage. And I think that churches across the land can relate to this in so many ways. And I think especially Arapahoe Road can relate to this story. You have come out of a place. Just think about where they were in Egypt. In Egypt, the Israelites we're in a place where, at the end, they were, their backs were being broken by their oppressors. And in that, they saw the people growing so fast they were afraid of the Israelites. So the, the, the Pharaoh made a command to kill the firstborn and to kill the children and throw them in the Nile when they found children of the Israelites to try to reduce them in number and break them even further. But God delivered one of those children, Moses, to become their deliverer. That would point to the great deliverer who's to come, who is Jesus, right? And he led them out towards the promised land. This is a God who has shown great love and mercy, but they have been through the fire. For 400 years, they were in this land. They didn't start off as being oppressed, but they became that. And it was for years and years. I think that the Lord hears your cries and understands where you have been as a church and I think you should take notice that he hears and knows all things and he has heard you and he is leading you forward even if sometimes it feels like it's not the answer you want. And that's hard to take in. But here's the way I want to state it for us about faith over fear. Faith, real simply, is trusting in God more than we trust in our circumstances. Faith is trusting in God more than we trust in our circumstances. And it's easy for us to say amen to, and we should, but it is difficult to live that out because our circumstances can be huge and overwhelming and terrifying and painful and heart-aching. It can be a lot to endure your circumstances. And it's even easier to say amen to that when you think your circumstances might be short or brief, but when they go on for years. It's difficult. But I'm here to tell you, I'll put it a little differently, faith comes when we focus our hearts on God and not when we focus our hearts on our circumstances or on the obstacles before us. I'll say it a different way. I'm going to look at it from different angles. Faith comes when we trust that our Savior is greater than our circumstances. Fear comes when we forget that our Father has already secured our future. No matter what comes at us, you know that if you hope in Christ, in the end, you're going to be in eternity with him, and all sin and all its effects are removed. No more crying, no more mourning, no more weeping, no more gnashing of teeth. It will be done, and we'll enjoy his presence and his rest forever. This is our secured future because Jesus paid the price for it already on the cross in our place. So how do we remain a people of faith in the now? That's the question for today. How do we remain a people of faith in the here and now and not succumb to our fears or our circumstances and to make sure we obediently follow the Lord? And I've got three easy points for you. It's real simple. It's real simple. I'll give them to you ahead of time. We got to focus on who God is. We've got to focus on what God has done and we have to focus on, and remember what God has promised to do. Those are my three points I'm going to break down for you. So if you want to check out, now's the time you've heard the points. Go home and study the passage and get it. I'll wake you up when we're done. But I hope you'll stay with me because I think the Lord is going to move in our hearts and bring us some hope that we might need and bring us some encouragement and some solidness to the journey that we're on. So let's let's start off on the first one. How do we remain a people of faith and not succumb to our fears or our circumstances? Number one, we got to focus on who God is. I'm going to give you a little systematic theology that you're aware of, but I want us to be reminded we got to focus our hearts and minds on the truth that God is completely sovereign even over the junk we've gone through in the past years or months or days or weeks or hours. God is sovereign through it all. And that's hard for us to remember that the size of our obstacles before us are not even in, in eyesight and visibility compared to the greatness and the sovereignty of our God. Now, it's hard, though, when they're right in front of you and something small can take up all of your vision and block out the grandeur of something else. That's why it's important that we are always scrambling to get face-to-face with God in his presence. We've got to remember that he's the creator and the sustainer of the universe, so nothing can overcome him. Nothing can overcome his will for his people. He will win. In the end, it is his. There is not some uh, duality of God versus Satan, and that God gets it sometimes. In the end, we know he's going to win, but Satan wins sometimes. No. God only allows what he wants to allow. And we don't understand sometimes why he allows what he allows, but we know this. He's made promises, such as Romans eight twenty eight, that says, All things work to the good of those who are called according to his purpose, who love God, right? And so we can trust, even though we don't understand it, somehow it's going to give God more glory that we go through this, and it's going to make us look more like Jesus. And in the end, this, this extreme difficulty now will end up bringing a far greater surpassing weight of glory for us in the end. We will enjoy him more because of what we've gone through for the rest of eternity. And although it feels like an eternity now, it's this much on the timeline of forever, and this is worth it to get to where God wants us for the rest of eternity, whatever it is. Sometimes he even allows us to go through circumstances that seem impossible to overcome. Just like these guys are looking at the land going, there's no way. These are the sons of the Nephilim, the sons of those crossbreeds between maybe demons and people and these giants in the land, right? You remember one of the giants we see later David has to work at, right? They're looking at these guys and they're trying to say, these guys are going to kill us. They're going to stomp us out. They look at us like grasshoppers. But you've got to remember, and I do, just like they needed to remember, that God's greatest purpose is that his glory will abound. He created everything to show off his glory. That's why he made us in his image. He wants us to reflect the goodness and greatness and glory of God. But we're broken in our sinfulness and somebody has to fix that. So he sent Jesus to overcome that for us. And he sent the Holy Spirit to start to put back the pieces of the broken mirror to reflect him more rightly as he sanctifies us. His greatest purpose is for his glory, and there's good reason for that. He deserves all that glory, and the more he's glorified, the more we experience joy and fullness, and we become more like what we're going to be when we end up in eternity with him. So it's good that he does that, but sometimes these circumstances seem impossible. But we've got to remember that nothing is impossible for God. In the end, he will get the glory. Look, he even says it early on in this story in Exodus 14, 1 through 4. Listen. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi between Migdal and the sea, in front of baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in, and he will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord." So he says, look, Moses, take these people up against the sea where they're stuck, and I'm going to send Pharaoh after you, okay? Good? everybody's like, no, not good, but they see him coming. What are you doing? They start over again. You brought us out here to die in the land, but why does he do it? Because I will get glory over Pharaoh. I'm even going to harden his heart and make him come after you so that I get glory over him. That's his primary purpose, right? And he will get the glory. We know he does, because what happens? Remember what happens? He parts the sea, takes Israelites through this crazy, miraculous thing, and he brings them through the water, and as the Egyptians flow in after them, he brings the water back over them and destroys them. Through the waters, they find redemption. Through the passageway, they find redemption that he provided for them. Sometimes he even puts us in these impossible circumstances and tries our faith, but he is always in control, always in control. God is never wondering what's going to happen. He's never thinking, oh man... God, Satan got me that time. Never happens, ever. He's always in control. He will always remain sovereign over all of our circumstances. We see that he will get the glory. Again, let me give you another one. Exodus 14, 15 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. I am the Lord, when I've gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. You see, when fears overwhelm us and the darkness sets in and we think there's no hope, that's when God likes to show off his glory. He wants to make sure that nobody can look at us and go, man, look how smart they are. Look how great they are. Look how great they did this. No, no, no. He will get the glory. And if he has to put us into a position to make sure that he's the only one that shines bright, he will do so. And in the end, it's even better for us still. This is the crazy part of it. See, we can trust in that because we remember who he is. Let us remember, he's the bringer of light. He's the giver of life. He's the only one that can take someone from dead to alive. Someone who is spiritually in darkness and decay, and he gives them a new heart, taking out that heart of stone and brings them life. He's the only one that can do that craziness. We think it's crazy. Listen to this. We think it's crazy that he took a dead man in a tomb and raised him from the dead, Lazarus. That's not crazy. What's crazy is that we are dead spiritually and we always have been in our sin. And he takes us even though we rebel against him and we deserve to be destroyed. Instead, he goes, I'm going to love you anyway anyway. And he puts a heart of flesh inside of us and opens our eyes to see his greatness. And we repent and believe in him through Jesus. And he gives us salvation even though we continue to sin against him. That's what's crazy. That's power. That's glory. He can remain just because he paid the price in Jesus' death on the cross for us. That's the kind of benevolent, loving God we serve. So whatever we're going through, whatever we've been through, we can trust him. Because of who he is, he's never changed, he's always the same. And our faith can never be in ourselves, it's never in our own abilities or our talents, it's never in our wisdom or our intellect or in our experience or in our own personal strength. The faith that has the power to deliver us is faith in the one true God, in him alone. So let us remember who he is, who he is. The second point we're going to talk about that's going to help us is not just remembering who he is, but remembering what God has done. Remember that he hears us when we cry out to him. You may be thinking for the last 10 years or longer or shorter that you've been crying out to God to do a certain thing, to deliver, to bring hope, to bring restoration, to bring effectiveness. And you may think, He's now, he doesn't hear us. Like, what's wrong? Why aren't you hearing us? What do I have to do? We don't understand the timeline of the Lord, but we can trust it. Because he's proven himself over and over again. Listen to what he's done. In Exodus 2.23, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. He knows, brothers and sisters. He is not caught off guard, he is not surprised, he is not not hearing us. He hears and he knows and he will do something about it. In fact, I would argue that on this side of the cross, he's already done all that needs to be done, we're just not seeing the full effect of it yet, but we will. We will, because you know what? Nothing will stand between God and his kingdom coming. Nothing. Nothing will stand between God utilizing whomever he wants to utilize. Nothing will stand between whatever he wants to do with the church, whether he morphs it into something new or whether he uses it for a thousand years. He will accomplish his mission because he always does what he says he's going to do. And he's always proven that over and over and over. Just look and listen to what he's done. He hears us and he's acted to save us so he will not leave us to our own devices. He did not spill the blood of his precious holy son for nothing. Trust in that. He gave his one and only son worth more than everything so that he could redeem you and put you together for the sake of being a part of his mission to bring more people home with you, home with Jesus. He will not waste the blood of Jesus. He doesn't do that. We may trample on it. He never wastes it. Every drop will fulfill its purpose. Everything is purposeful, even we don't understand it. It's time we remember that he's the sovereign When I tell my kids all the time, you think you know what you're supposed to be doing, but I know better. And right now they're young enough to go, that's right, daddy, that'll change soon, I know. Not for my oldest, she won't do that. But I'm here to tell you right now, we have no idea the great chasm. We think there's a chasm between me and my children who are 10 and under. The chasm between our wisdom and our knowledge and the wisdom and knowledge of a sovereign, holy, righteous, good, all-knowing God. We should just wait and thank him for whatever he's doing in the moment. And pray out and say, God, I hate it. And he says, I hate it too. I sent Jesus to die for it so he could overcome it for you. And you have to endure it for a short time, but it's not forever. And we say, yes, Lord, and Amen. We can trust him because of what he's done. Look at verses, chapter 13, verse 31 through 33. Listen to what they say, right? Chapter 13, 31 through 33. You know, I've wondered, and when I've read this story in the past, I've wondered, why did God send them out to spy the land? He was going to see it and be like, oh yeah, we can do this. He sent them to put them in this very spot. So they would look at it and go, we are like grasshoppers to these people. But our God is the God Almighty, the Lord Almighty. And so we're going to follow and watch him get the glory. That's why he sets it up. So you may feel like we are peons, we are nothing, we are pawns, we are less than that, we are ants. You may feel like God has lost you or forgotten you. Oh, no, he has not. He sent his son to die for you. You are worth more than all the stars to him. But he may let you go through this thing so that you remember that you are not God and he is. And you can trust him. You would not, I would not make a better one than him. And maybe it's for us to see how little and how small we are. Remember, he talks about it in the New Testament. God uses the weak things to shame the strong. 1 Corinthians one twenty six. I love this passage. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I don't know who I'm talking to in here. Don't take offense. That's the Lord's words, Right? He will get all the glory. It says, And because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We boast in you, Lord, because we are not. I recently went through a difficult time in the last couple of years, personally, on so many levels. I remember sitting outside on my, my patio one night. And I was just thinking, Lord, when are you, you going to stop this? Like, when are you going to take this down? And like, when are you going to overcome this? And when are you going to like get me out of this? And it was like he like, hit me in the back of the head in a loving way and was like, I'm going to do it through you being brought low. And I will get the glory. And I will bring it to fruition for the kingdom through this moment. And I just remember the Lord overwhelming me, and I remember kind of just in my my mind, and it came out of my lips, Lord, whatever it takes, it's an honor to be used by you for your glory, whatever it takes. That is not an easy place to be and it is not an easy place to stay. But God, if you stare into his face and you cry out to him and you ask him and you repeat his glory to him, you sing the Psalms back to him and you speak out to him like he's here, because he is. Lord, we know you are here. Help us see that we are the grasshoppers and that is good because you are the God who loves even the grasshoppers and cares for everyone. Not one falls before you take your eyes off of him. Only when the time is right. And yet you love us even more because you're taking us home with you forever. And that is the God that we serve. Remember how he delivered the people with the plagues and with the Passover. They had to kill a, an animal and put blood over the doorpost in order to not be killed, the firstborn to be killed by the angel of death coming into Egypt when he's going to liberate them. Can you imagine what they went through doing that? They never had a clue that that was really going to point to Jesus and his death for us. Remember that he brought us out of our slavery to sin just like he brought them out of Egypt because of the blood that was put over us that washed away our sins, that he now sees that because of our sin, blood had to be spilt. That's clear in the Old Testament. And so Jesus' blood is sufficient for all. And now we have hope because of him and what he's done for us. Look at what he's done and remember that, and we'll have faith that trumps our fear every time. He parted the sea, saved his people, and remember that he is with us even now, and if we follow him, that's key words here. Look at verses numbers 14, numbers 14, eight through nine. Listen to these words. He's pleading, He's pleading. Caleb is pleading, and he says, "If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us." a land that flows with milk and honey, only, listen, this is the deal, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us, their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. The Lord will delight in us if we don't rebel. Now he will love you. If you're his, he will love you to the end and he'll bring you home when the day is right and he sends Jesus to come get us and take us home. He'll do that but he may make us wander in the desert if we rebel until the next generation does what he says to do. Let us make a commitment today to not be the generation who rebels and loses the ability to walk with the Lord and see him do miraculous things. Whatever he calls us to, yes and amen, Lord. Amen. We will do it, whatever it is. Lord, bring us clarity so we can step through that door and do whatever it is you want us to do. Always, always, always delight in us because we say, yes, Lord. I don't care if I'm a grasshopper and they're Nephilim. Whatever you say, Lord, I'm going to go out there. I don't care if I'm throwing rocks at a giant with a giant sword. I will do it, Lord, because of you. And don't let me think that I'm the champion or the hero because you're the champion. We'll have to think about we need to have faith like that of David, that he'd step out there and do that. And there's a little bit the truth of that, but let me remind us, that is not what Israel would have remembered. They would have said, we need a champion redeemer to step out in the place for us because we don't have that kind of faith and we can't overcome. And so he's in a champion in Jesus. We're not David. Jesus is the greater David. He's the champion that stepped out in our place and defeated the giants we can't defeat. He defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell. And you best believe that if he defeated Satan, sin, death, and hell in our place on the cross through his own death and then overcame that in resurrected glory, then you best believe he can overcome and will overcome whatever it is we're facing. Our faith is in the holy God, not in our ability and not in us. Remember what he has done and who he is. And lastly, focus on what God has promised to do. Man, this, this is where I can get caught up. If we're not careful, we can lean into what I... What I call, a lot of people call it prosperity theology, we get into this place where we just think, man, I'm going to name it and claim it. God promised this, I'm going to claim it. And he said, we can step forward to the throne with boldness. He also says, fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom. So you, we step with boldness because we don't have to worry about our sin making us be killed in his presence. Okay. But we don't, we don't just go up and name it, claim it like this is our thing and we're claiming our treasure that we've already, got, we've already got. That's not how this works. We get off track when we think that's how this lays out. The promises of God are not something to be claimed by us in order for us to have dominion over him and over the Lord. He's just waiting around for us to rub the lamp and him to pop out and give us what we want. That's not the God we serve. Thank you, Lord, that you're not that kind of God. We serve a holy, righteous God who says, I will give you whatever you ask. But the caveat is, you gotta walk with me and be with me and look at me. See who I am, because then you'll want what I want to give you, what I've promised you. So let's look at these promises real quick and see how Israel screwed it up and then how God still redeemed. And let's make sure we don't do the same thing. Because here's, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible and I see these guys, I'm like, gosh, what idiots. I wouldn't be like that. Come on, man. Like, that's so stupid. I would never do those things. The reality is I've done it so many times. Right? How many times have we had somebody say, gosh, I'm not going to do that. That's a lot. That's fearful. And we make up excuses in our mind not to be obedient. We can, we can definitely understand this. I'm going to watch out. Get your toes ready. I'm stepping on my own here. We can definitely put it in the area of evangelism. Hasn't God said, go therefore and make disciples? How many of us made a disciple in the last year? How many of us made disciples in the last 15 years, 20 years? How many of us could say, yes, I'm living out the kingdom work right now? You know why we don't do it? Because we kind of think, oh yeah, I'll get around to that. Or that's for other disciples that are more mature than me. No, 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 no. He wants the grasshoppers to step in faith into following him. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Remember last time? I will make you. I will be the one who does it. You just follow me. We make up excuses. We tell ourselves all the time, and you may say, I don't make up excuses. The only reason we don't do the things that God says to do is because we rationalize it or we cut it out and we bifurcate it and we put it in a hole that we don't want to look into anymore. But brothers and sisters, whatever God calls us to, he's going to deliver us through. That's just the truth. Whatever he brings us, and it may mean that we die. I'm just telling you the truth. Martyrs died following the Lord, and they walked into glory. He says, we don't taste death. You suffer for a moment, you have the weight of glory for eternity. He takes away the taste of death. It's like when we close our eyes, we immediately open them and take, we breathe out our last. We, we breathe in, in the presence of God, his glory and his grace for the rest of eternity. And all that stuff seems like nothing that we went through to be with him. So let us not pretend that we aren't like them. Instead, let us go before him and beg like Moses did on behalf of the people, on behalf of himself. Let us go to the Lord and ask forgiveness. Let's be like Peter who comes back up and says he's sorry, right? Let's go go back to the Lord and say, gosh, I've messed this up over and over again. Please take me back. And you know he's going to say, yes, son, daughter, because I bought you in the blood of my son Jesus, and I'm going to redeem you. Come with me now, be in my presence. Listen to what happened with Israel. He, you may think, well, they didn't know. Look, Genesis 15 with Abraham. listen to these words, verse three and 13 and on. Then the Lord said to Abram, "Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years." But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces of the sacrifice." And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenesites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Repham. Now, you may think, what's well, a weird thing to do? This torch and this thing go through. What he's saying is, with these animal pieces on the side that were sacrificed, he's saying, if I don't live up to my covenant, this is what you would do back in these days, then it is my death I'm giving you. By my blood, I will fulfill my covenant. And what did he do? He fulfilled his covenant in the blood of Jesus, who spilled out his blood for us on the cross. He has secured our future. And he's made a promise. And they knew this promise. They knew this truth. And they forgot it. And right after he delivered them out of Egypt, he once again promised in Exodus 17 that he was going to deliver them. Listen, the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it. The Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord have, will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. remember one of the ones they talked about, being there. The Amalekites are there. Whoa, they're so big and bad. And he says, I already told you, I'm going to take them out. He made a promise. And what we can trust in is God always fulfills his promises. Let me put it back to us. I want you to listen to this in Matthew 16. Listen to what he says about the church here. Now, let me say this. The church in Ephesus is no longer there like it was then. The, the, The church And Ephesus and many others have changed and morphed into different churches over the centuries. They don't always look like it. I mean, we like to think, man, this church has been here for 40 years, or this church has been here for 120 years, and we take pride in how long the church has been. You know what? God will take a church and use it as long as he wants to and then he will morph it and change it and sprout off new churches or he'll close one down and open up another one or he'll birth a new one from within and keep the grandparent church going as it has multiple generations. He'll do what he pleases with whatever body he wants to do that with because it's his church. And he has made the promise though that his kingdom will stand and the church at large, all those who are believers in Christ will be with him forever. That's our hope. And that's our trust. He's made these promises. Matthew 16. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And listen, and I tell you, you are Peter, which is Petros, which means stone, right? He says, I tell you, you are Petros. And on this Petra, on this other rock, I will build my church. On you, on your confession, I'm going to build my church. So the church we know is not the building, it's the people, right? And it's on the confession of Jesus that he builds the church. And wherever he sends Peter, that's what he does. Do you remember that in the New Testament, all of a sudden he scattered the disciples all over the world? They must have thought that was the most horrible thing ever. They got scattered under persecution around the world, but what did it do? It gave us the chance to become Christians, to become followers of Jesus, to have our souls saved for all eternity. God knows what he's doing no matter what the outcomes look like to us. We can trust in him. And he has promised to overcome the obstacles before us as his church. And we can trust in that promise. He says, nothing shall prevail against it. You may think sometimes, well, he's prevailing right now. The enemy's getting it here. No, he's not. God's just bringing something to a different place that we didn't anticipate. But he will never be overcome. He's the overcomer. He's the champion. Let me bring it to a personal level as we close. God has promised to bring us into glory. No matter the obstacles we face in this life, if we trust in him, if we trust in him, his promise will be fulfilled. John 14, 1 through 6, you know it, but listen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, he says. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, this is my namesake, right? The doubter. Yeah, I can relate, maybe some of you can too. Lord, we do not know where you were going. How can we know the way? Hey, listen, even in our doubting, the Lord loves us. You may not have noticed that in Matthew 28, when he gives them the Great Commission, it says he calls them to go and meet him in this place. And some came, and some doubted, but they all worshipped. That's because it's not dependent upon our abilities. It's dependent upon the one true God and the faith that comes from him. And listen, he says, How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, the truth is that Jesus came to deliver us. And Jesus came to deliver us as individuals, yes. But he came to deliver us as his bride the church. We put a lot of emphasis on the individuals, but Scripture seems to put a lot of emphasis as much or more on the body of all believers as the church. His bride. That he gave himself for his bride. And we can trust that when he promises that he is going to bring us home and he's prepared a place for us, we can know it's going to happen. And he's not going to leave us here to our own devices. He's sent the Holy Spirit to empower us. And we are no longer slaves of fear because we are now children of God. The one true living God, the almighty God. So let us turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, all the obstacles, all the disappointments, all the heartache will go strangely dim, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And what a promise from the Lord. How do we overcome these fears? not because we muster up the strength, but it's because we remember and focus on who God is and what he has done for us and what he's promised to do and namely in Jesus, his son. Let us keep our hope in him and whatever he calls, yes, Lord, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Feel free to distribute this recording, but please do not sell or alter it in any way. For more information about Arapahoe Road Baptist Church, please visit our website at arapahoroad.org. Arapaho Road Baptist Church is located at 2256 Arapahoe Road in Garland, Texas, with Sunday morning worship service at 10.45am. We hope you'll join us this week.